really got to try on that left hand side. What happened? <laughs> oh, but I've gone up and over, and Marty had over biscuit. It was a, uh, it was, a, it wasn't enough stability there for myself. But um, no, I was busting for a bit of meat this game. It didn't seem to work out. Hello, cheers, and welcome, welcome to the Scrum of the Earth podcast, the weekly show that brings you news, results, great interviews, and so much more, all about the world of rugby union. As always, I'm David Lawrence. I'm an American rugby fan who follows the game wherever I can find it all over the globe today, however, is a bonus episode, and this time, it's a fantastic interview with my brother from another mother, the Scottish rugby podcast, John Anderson. John was good enough to take yet another rather large slice out of his day to sit down to discuss the upcoming Six Nations, as well as all things Scottish rugby. If you'd like to get in touch, please do, but I'll save the contact info for the end, just for the sake of brevity, because there's no brevity involved today. We love to talk, so with all that admin out of the way, let's get right to it. Okay, friends, once again, my brother from another mother, John Anderson, is here from the Scottish Rugby Blog Co- Podcast. John, please make yourself comfortable. Once again, welcome to the Scrum of the Earth. How are you doing, my friend? Yeah, th- thanks for having me on again. I must not have upset uh, enough people yet, so, you know, we'll, we'll do our best to, uh, <laughs> to, to remedy that tonight. No, uh, great to be on. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, but all, all, is, all is well, this side of the, the pond. <laughs> So I thought it would be smart to pick up right where we left off. And of course, that was the early 1980s when Trevor Rabin joined your band and the music really took a new direction. Uh, Owner of a Lonely Heart would become perhaps your biggest hit in terms of top 40. Can you talk about that? how that song changed your relationship with your music? Uh, I, I mean, I'm going to be honest, uh, my lawyer tells me that I, I'm not allowed to, to discuss that at length. Um, um, as much as I would like to, that, that piece of paper says I shouldn't. So uh, I'm going to ask you to move on to the next question, if that's okay. Uh, I, my, my producer just threw a vinyl EP of Leave It at me. So I think that probably means I've screwed it up again for this is I think, the, fourth, the fourth time. <laughs> Yeah, that, that, that's, that's my bad. I wonder, is there any chance I could get you to talk about rugby instead of the legends of prog rock? As I, I, I would be delighted to, uh, to discuss the, the oval ball. So I, I do actually want to, before we get into Six Nations, I did want to talk domestic stuff. Well, domestic for you, obviously. Yeah. Domestic for me is my Free Jacks, who are currently unbeaten. I guess we're, we're the, the Leinster of Major League Rugby right now. <laughs> yes! <laughs> <laughs> But uh, just just in the last few weeks, things have dropped. Well, Glasgow has actually seen themselves going up on the table while not particularly looking good doing it, while Edinburgh have, have been falling. Um, it looks like the Irish sides are poised to take over the URC again. Um, how are you feeling about that? Um, I mean, there's there's a lot of things in life that are, that are inevitable. We talk about, you know, obviously there's the famous life, death, taxes, and Leinster winning the URC. Um, yeah, I mean, the Irish teams are very, very strong. And uh, Glasgow had a great result um, at the weekend against Munster, um, mm. uh, you know, taking a taking a win there, which um, we'll probably touch on a wee bit. But mm. the, Irish, the Irish teams are very strong. And I think I've said on quite a few different platforms, um, 
I'm not I'm not sure it's a case of Glasgow moving up and Edinburgh moving down as such. I think it is more just like the scheduling, the way it's worked out. I think Edinburgh had quite a kind opening schedule. Oh, okay, fair. Which maybe inflated where they were or where they where they stood. Glasgow played a couple of more difficult teams. Still quite a, a relatively easy schedule, actually. And I think we're now finding we're in a position now where things are going to sort of return to the norm. Um, that being said, I think both teams are playing well. And, you know, surprise any of the Scottish rugby listeners uh, listening to this. It will surprise them. I think Edinburgh actually... They looked okay against the Irish sides, and actually, it was their own mistakes that really shot themselves in the foot. Um, so, I think I, I don't think there's necessarily panic mm. from the Edinburgh side, but I must say, as a Glasgow fan, it is really, really nice to be above them in the table again because <laughs> the amount of abuse I took when Edinburgh were top of the league. It was it was just silly, and I was kind of saying to them, it's like, guys, 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 guys. Everybody Look, calm down. Everybody chill. You don't win the league a quarter of the way through the season, so let's just everyone chill. <laughs> well, the uh, actually, something I, I really wanted to ask you about. Um, so there's this weird thing I've perceived with when Six Nations starts, for those first couple of rounds, the URC says, oh, we're going to just keep going anyway. And we're just going to put out sort of weakened sides while the premiership is like, no, 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 we're going to take those weeks off. I think that actually flips for later rounds, but it just seems strange to me. So you got the URC, which is already sort of looked down upon by a lot of people saying, oh, well, you know, inferior to the prem. And then they're going to intentionally put out sides that are just by definition are going to be weaker without their top internationals there. Is that a good idea? Like, what is the reasoning behind that? So, so to be very clear, the the that wasn't meant to be the case this year. Uh, mm. So when so when uh, the CVC, who are the investment company who've put a lot of money into the the United Rugby Championship, when they when they done the scheduling this time out, they they deliberately moved it away from clashing with the international windows. So there wasn't meant to be fixtures in this period. Okay, it just so happens we've had a pandemic that has meant that cancellations mm. so there, there there isn't any other space in the calendar to fit it in so we've had to play some games but the one of the massive selling points of the the, the urc was that there was no longer meant to be those clashes oh, okay. with the international window which in some ways is it's great for the spectacle of seeing the best players playing week in week out right we, we love that, seeing your internationals available for your club. Mm. On on the other hand, from a development perspective, and particularly thinking about Scotland, we have two professional clubs. Those periods where we had 16, 17, Glasgow, uh, as many as 20 internationals away during an, uh, during an international window, that was the opportunity for guys to get game time. So okay. those young, up-and-coming players, so... I always remember a game. I, I was over at Scottsdale. I was I was doing press coverage. And I always remember it was Scott Cummings was the up and coming thing. Mm-hmm. Hadn't played much for Glasgow. Got some game time, um, and he was he was doing the interview afterwards, and he was just saying how important it is. They almost form 
during those international windows, it was almost like forming a a mini squad. Interesting. All the internationals are away. We are going to hunker down and be. We are Glasgow. We are Edinburgh for this period of time. Mm. And this is our chance to put ourselves in the shop window and get some game time. So, well, the, I think I, that was the one theory I was kicking around, which is like if you have somebody who's you know a nailed on ten, who's that top level international guy. You can't really just say, hey, sit this week while I try out this 20-year-old who we've never seen play yeah. before just because I yeah. want to find out. You know, that's a good way to lose that star player probably. So this, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. like you're describing, this could be a chance to see to find some diamonds that you might not have known you had. Well, yeah, absolutely. It was, a, it was a development pathway that mm. was an un, unintended consequence of it. And I think the – I think – as the, once we get back to a degree of normality, I think we'll start to see that there will be issues with that. Mm. Certainly, rotation for both Glasgow and Edinburgh this season has been lower, and we all know players need game time. Like mm. you're not going to develop a. <laughs> nobody turns up and is a, a an international level prop immediately. Mm. No one turns up and is an international ten. They need game time, so um, I'm a bit concerned. <laughs> they can't all be Cam Redpath, I guess. Well, yeah, well, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think I think where Scotland might benefit, though, is that actually we still we retain, obviously, because of the way the structure of both clubs being owned by the SRU, we still retain a lot of control over who plays when. Okay. So I think you will find that even after the Six Nations, you're not going to see you're not going to see all the internationals go straight back into the team. Mm. Uh, you're going to see there'll be there's going to be a progression of kind of getting people back in gradually and looking after players, mm. which does mean that players still get a chance. Maybe not to the extent they did before, but there will still be that opportunity. Well, I think during round two, it was that weird weekend in the URC where they had cleared fixtures, so it, it was fixture-free, And but then they had the makeup matches because of the Omicron stuff, and so we had both Scottish teams pl- uh, facing off against really tough Irish teams. Like, the Welsh teams didn't have to play that week. The, the Italian teams didn't have to play that week. That seemed inherently unfair against the Scottish teams to me. Um, but I mean, uh, on the other hand, I didn't have a better idea. So, what, did you think that was unfair? Just, just the way things are now. Ah, I mean, so the um, the sensible, level-headed me would say that, as you as you rightly say, there is there's limited space within the calendar to play these fixtures, and yep. you know, and that's fine. The cynic in me would remind your listeners that the the head office for the United Rugby Championship is just upstairs from the head office of the Irish Rugby Union ah. in Dublin. And it's also just down the road from the World Rugby office Interesting. in Dublin. So they are all very close, let's huh. say. Um, we, we like to refer to it as the D4 Mafia. But, you know... <laughs> We're not, we're not, we're not seeing anything's happening, but it kind of looks like it is. Yeah, I mean, to move to move a game against Munster, and do you know what? It was great that Glasgow beat them, but to move a game against Munster for Glasgow from the last weekend of the season mm. to the middle of the Six Nations when Glasgow would be weakened it looked a little dubious. dicey to me. 
Dubious. <laughs> well, th- there was the, a confusing thing this weekend too, because there was severe storms throughout the UK, and so the the Cardiff match was complete was postponed indefinitely. Yeah. They said, but meanwhile, Ospreys had a home game. Dragons had a home game. I don't know, like is something going on with Cardiff this year? I, I I think I speculated that they maybe maybe their stadium's built on an ancient burial ground. Is that what's going on? <laughs> it's just good enough theory as any, I suppose. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's you know you see this at the amateur level as well, where it's quite frustrating because you're like. <laughs> you're traveling to places to play games and they're getting called off because of the weather or called off because of waterlogged pitches. But then three minutes down the road, there's a game going on in the same condition. It's, yeah. I, you know, player safety comes first and that's fine. But like, actually, ah, there wasn't any danger of the game not going ahead up here put it that way um yeah. even, even though it was pretty blowy up here <laughs> we'd, yeah we'd, we'd, it was there was those trees swaying in the wind <laughs> it, was... <laughs> it looked completely miserable out ah, it was, it was, <laughs> the weather was not nice I, I always like to take my i don't even know why i decided to pick on him but i love to make my uh Danny carries ancient jokes all the time, and uh, now that I've started, it's hard to stop. So when it was ra- <laughs> so you know when it's raining like that, I like to say that Danny Care is going to spontaneously start gathering up two of every animal and try to herd them onto a boat of some kind. <laughs> yeah, yeah, him, him and Alvin Jones together, like since <laughs> Alvin Jones was was actually about when when they used. Um, stone and uh, t- tablet to write <laughs> so, on so I- i'm uh, sure yeah. alan Wynn still remembers that day when he and his wife gave birth to zeus <laughs> facts so this this past weekend it is true that um monster pretty well smashed edinburgh uh your warriors they only managed to get 13 points against benetton who yep. believe it or not were resting players so not yep. a great weekend for scottish rugby in general or are you just kind of saying okay it is what it is yeah, yeah. So, but a bit, bit of both, bit of both. The I think the the Edinburgh game, Edinburgh had chances. Um, Munster looked certainly first twenty minutes for me. Munster should have been home and hosed. Uh, they were by far the better side, and they let Edinburgh into the game. And Edinburgh had their chances, but it was it was as I said previously the. They just took every opportunity possible mm. to shoot themselves in the foot. Like, the, I think it was the third try for Munster where where Kinghorn actually hits his own man with the ball yeah. in the face. And you're like, I mean, <laughs> if ever there was a moment that summed up that game, it was that. Um, <laughs> that was amazing. It was, it was very, very, yeah, I mean... Just I do wonder desperate. with Munster I, from a personnel standpoint. I'm not sure what they do when Peter Omahani is not available. Who can they get to fill that? You know, give somebody on the other side an absolute low blow, cheap shot kind of role. I, you know, I think he's I think he's irreplaceable in that front. I think, <laughs> uh, that like he he retains a special place in my heart for how much of a horrid person he is. Um, <laughs> There, I, I'll never. There was a match. It might have been three years ago now or something where he took out Hoggy with a super cheap shot. The ref just kind of went, 
looks the other way yeah, and then he eventually gets yeah. man of the match out of it he wasn't even cited or anything i i, I don't think i'll be forgiving him for that one anytime soon yeah, no, no. I, I, yeah, Peter Omahani is not not very welcome this side of the water. It's safe to say, <laughs> yeah, uh, horrid, horrid person. But, uh, but no, from like from a Munster, Munster are a very good team, right? And at home, Edinburgh were always always going to struggle. They put out quite a young side as well, mm-hmm. so you know, a, a good experience for a lot of guys. I thought some of the young boys in particular stood up. Mm. Uh, well, Muncaster at eight was was strong. He looked a, a real prospect. Kinghorn had another another one of those games at ten. Anyone who's seen my other published works will uh, know I'm not entirely convinced by Blair <laughs> Kinghorn at ten. You're not wearing um, a Kinghorn jersey right now underneath the shirt. I, I'm I'm not. No, no, I'm not a signed up member of the fan. Uh, well, what we call the cult, actually, but um, <laughs> I, you know, he's he's competent. I think he does offer a different option. I would just like to see a bit more from him. Mm. Um, but like Edinburgh, in years gone by, Edinburgh would have went over there, played the way they did, and they would have got absolutely there would have been fifty points put past them. Mm. So I think. There's progress being made on the other side of things. Again, Glasgow. It was, it was another. It was a. It was a frustrating match. I, I do because... think Benetton are, are better than people assume they are. I, th- I think you know, yeah, people are, were yeah, ready to just... laugh and and scoff at the the Rainbow Cup, but that that wasn't nothing. And you know they. Especially compared to Zebrae, they they can do some things. They can well, sneak well, up on you. Well, yeah, yeah, ab- absolutely. They're they're a much improved side. I I. I have said a number of times. I still, I would still expect if if you've got ambitions of being a playoff team at home against a team like Benetton, you need to be comfortably putting them away. Yep. And Glasgow, we had opportunities. I think we didn't. Uh, the nice way of putting this is we didn't necessarily adapt to the referee's interpretation of the game. Okay. Um. We let them in quite a lot. There was a few individual errors, but and again, it's and I've said in this podcast previously regarding like it's the experienced players that are making those errors. Mm. That are not, you know, the young guys are driving the standards, which is frustrating. But on the counter side of things, and I would say this about the Edinburgh game as well, the weather was horrific. Yeah, so, it, it was an equalizer for sure. You know, if you, if you, if you, to, it's four points in the bag for Glasgow, and I mm-hmm. think that's that's all anyone's saying. Four points and move on. Yeah, people are saying it's a point dropped. I don't think it is. You know, in that weather, just getting a win, get mm-hmm. the job done, and move on. No injuries. Nobody's. You know, no, no. It's it's a tough time. So let's move on. So you mentioned the the referee too, and how they sort of didn't adjust. Um, and this is a little off topic, but I've noticed in the URC in particular, they've started to incorporate some of these Australian and Southern Hemisphere refs, um, yeah. which to me seems like a great idea because heading up to any, you know, a World Cup or any, you know, even a, an international test window, there's all the talk leading up to it. About, well, will the Northern teams be able to adjust to the Southern Hemisphere? Yep. Like, like getting these refs cross pollinated in multiple leagues is good for everybody, right? I, I, I completely agree. I completely agree. I think it's really important. 
um, to have that, I think it's frustrating initially because it, in some cases it is just such a transition mm. that the change, you know, you're watching it and you're like, well, that's, you know, there was a couple of examples where I'm watching it and it's like, well, he's holding on all day there mm. and it's not pinged. And then, like, on the other side, it's like, you know, they're trying to encourage attacking play, which I'm all for. But it's just, like, it just the consistency just doesn't feel right. Mm. But as you say, no, I think it's a great, it's a great objective for a World Cup or any other kind of international tournaments to get these guys involved because ultimately, I think everyone learns from, you know, seeing the way that a guy like Nick Berry referees the game, mm-hmm. then you get to see how almost the Southern Hemisphere teams play the game, right. which in turn then benefits your coaching staff because they're able to say, well, he's refereeing like that, they react like that, so we can then build a game plan to suit that, knowing if he's going to be a referee. I, I, I think it's not a bad thing. It's just a tad frustrating at times. Mm. Well, Super Rugby kicked off again this past weekend, which completely snuck up on me. But that they, the pace at which they play those games, yes. there's, there's a lot of, I think each match, there's probably at least three things that would be like a, a high tackle, maybe even a card in the North. And they just, it's just play on down there. I, I think there is a real concern. And actually speaking about, so I'm not going to single out any referee in particular, right? Mm. But there has been... But if you did, his name would be... (laughs) (laughs) Wow! (laughs) Uh, Rhymes with... (laughs) With Derry. Uh, No, there's there's been a few incidents in the last month in the Northern Hemisphere whereby, and I've I've been very vocal on Twitter about it because I think we have to really reconsider are we are we serious about player safety mm. or are we just paying it lip service and there has been a number of incidents there was incidents in the six nations at the weekend there was incidents in the club game there's been incidents in under 20s game mm-hmm. in the same weekend whereby referees have essentially said you know there's been a player saying I've taken a knock to the head. I need a head injury assessment. Or I need to be, as one player said, I need to be checked. I, I need to review the footage from the independent doctor, which you're allowed to do. Okay. I need to see that footage just to make sure that I did take a knock to the head because I don't feel like it, but you're telling me I did. And the referee has, for the spectacle and to ensure the game keeps moving, has dismissed this and has sort of moved the play on. And for me, if you're talking, if you're serious about head injuries and you're serious about head knocks, you take all the time you need to do that. You mm. take all the time to review the footage. There's also been a number of incidents where the TMO has stepped in and. Oops, lost you for just a sec there. And you've seen clear head knocks. Oh, did I disappear there, did I? Yeah, but I think you're back. back. Yeah, I can uh, can hear you. This idea of mitigating circumstances 
where they've talked about like, oh well, you know, he's 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 dipping slightly into the tackle and he's contacted on the shoulder minimally and then rode up into the head. And it's like, no, that's that's a tackle to the head. That's a shoulder to face. It almost feels like they set up this rule with the, okay, then look for mitigating factors and then never discussed what the definition of the word mitigating is. Because mm, yeah. some refs yeah. seem, to, seem to be like, well, he's kind of short, so that counts. Well, well, that's it, yeah. Think about a guy like Shane Williams. Like, obviously, Shane Williams, phenomenal player, very short, do we then see he because he gets tackled by a second row? Um, that's a mitigating a second row tries to take his head off. That's a mitigating circumstance because he's short. Of course we don't. It's well, ridiculous. He, he, he tried to take his head off, but his head isn't very big, so yeah. Therefore, I mean, he only caught him on the chin because he was punching down. So he was obviously clearly trying to wrap. Uh, like it's it's moronic. And you, you, you've, got think, the, you've got the Curry brothers in England who literally can't get hit in the chin because there's just nothing there. It's just a whiff every time. <laughs> oh, the Curry brothers. <laughs> Hopefully they'll stay on the other side of the ocean and not come kick my butt for that. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, that's fine. They're overrated, mate. They wouldn't manage it. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. Uh, no, I think uh, genuinely, if we're if we're serious about head injuries, like trying to find ways, like there there was a passage actually in I think it was the Australian amateur. Uh, so like the amateur leagues in Australia, it was their guidelines that were put out, and it was basically the guideline was to ensure that we try to keep fifteen on fifteen at all times, hmm. which is completely against yeah that's everything. Uh, we're trying that's to the do. opposite of player safety. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's got to be coming. It's not like each ref is going rogue and deciding for him or herself, okay, this is how I'm going to do it. It must be that the leadership is saying, we're concerned about head injuries, but, you know, we also, you know, keep it moving, guys. Like, it's it's got to be coming down from the top, right? It it will be, yeah. And I mean, World Rugby do have previous on this. They've, (laughs) yeah, they've got plenty of it. you know, plenty of situations where maybe player welfare hasn't been at the top of their agenda. So, you know, um, wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> well, you, you mentioned the when we were talking about Cardiff not being able to play because of the conditions. It's one of the things I, I think is really cool about the NFL. There is no weather condition that will prevent a match from being played, except lightning. If there's too <laughs> if there's too much lightning, but other than that, it could be anything. I think that's pretty great. About about too much lightning is always good. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's it, ah, it is. It's it's something. It's something that we really, as a sport, there's so much coming out about the kind of ah, player welfare, and we just really, really need to be sensible about it. I think Scotland's to you know obviously being scottish uh, i i i criticize scottish rugby to the hilt a lot of the times and you know certainly the fans take it in the neck from me every week sometimes but <laughs> i think um i think one thing scottish rugby are doing very well and credit to like dr james robson and guys like that that we are we are taking head injuries very seriously in scotland mm. and we're we are i think like I guess my uh, my my argument would be watch watch um, 
watch if a, if a Scotland player or a Glasgow or Edinburgh player goes off for a head injury assessment, mm-hmm. you'll probably be able to count in one hand the number of times they come back Interesting. from that head injury assessment. Yep. Whereas other other places, I wouldn't say that's necessarily the case. <laughs> So it's funny. I feel like you and I might spend more time watching and thinking about the URC than maybe most people. Um, but I did ask you to come on here to talk about Six Nations rather than Six the Nations, URC. Yeah, yeah. Um, round three is coming up quickly. Um, obviously, I want to talk about the the Scotland game, but I guess it's worth looking at the at those silly other fixtures and stuff. So I, <laughs> I, I've been complaining here lately how they keep putting the Italy game on the Sunday by itself. It's just this island of bad rugby like that, yeah. that, that that match should always be first on the saturday right just so it's like okay well this isn't that great but i'm still wetting my appetite and getting revved up for these other matches and stuff doesn't that seem like the sensible thing to do i i, I think absolutely would be the 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 two the two o'clock fixture on the saturday is it's the prep fixture for the main event on the saturday night you're absolutely right, right. it would be like yeah let's let's get that on you're if you're if you're at the game, you would maybe go and watch. watch yeah, yeah. Bob, I, show, watch I showed stadium. up early. The under twenties are out there doing something before the real match kicks yeah, off. Yep, yep. Get get a couple of pints in. You'd be sorted. But yeah, I mean, I'll be I'll be honest. Actually, the Italy game this week, I didn't even watch it. Mm. Uh, that's 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 where we're at because on a Sunday, I'm thinking I've 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 watched two really good games of rugby. Yep. The day before. It's yeah, Italy Br- are getting they are, they are bringing myself bringing myself to sit down and intentionally watch England really beat up on somebody. That's not high. I'm not high on my list. No. <laughs> it doesn't no, come easily. No, 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 no absolutely not. And it's a uh, yeah, and uh, England Italy is always it's always a bit of a no brainer, really. Like sometimes you get a chuckle out of it. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, like, you know, when when they play Bergamasco at nine, you get a good laugh out of it. Or <laughs> when England don't know the rules, you get a chuckle. But ultimately, well, England, it, England it, win. <laughs> Italy scored first in their in, in round one, but that was pretty much the end of that. So every you know, even I, who've only been a fan for whatever it is, like six years now, even I know that one of the great traditions is the should Italy stay in the Six Nations conversation that comes yeah. around every single year. Um, every year people want to say, well, there's these signs, um, you got to give them time. Meanwhile, they've literally never beaten England. But just a couple of weeks ago, the Italian under 20s beat the England under 20s for the first time in the entire history. Yep. That's the next wave that's coming along. Is that yep. actually a good sign? Is that actually a piece of hope that Italian fans can, and maybe just fans who want a better level of competition in the Six Nations. Is that legitimate hope or is this just another year of, of manufacturing something to hang on to? No I, no, I think it absolutely is something to hope. Um, Italy are in a position in some ways that Scotland found themselves in. Hmm. Um, sort of mid, probably mid-noughties where <laughs> we almost had, we had this, this lovely bunch of really talented youngsters coming through um, but our senior team just wasn't performing. Mm. But the youngsters are too young to throw in, uh, and it's it's kind of like that balancing act. And I think um, that sounds really optimistic. Remember, that sounds really positive, actually. 
Yeah, and I think Scotland, like, I remember when Scotland beat England in the under-20s, um, and if you've not seen the footage, there's a very, very, very good try from a certain Stuart Hogg Ooh. playing under-20s, where oh, wow. he uh, t- takes the ball quite, quite far back in his own half, and promptly just skins the whole team. And uh, that doesn't yeah. sound like Huggy. Oh wait, no, yes, no, exactly oh, like oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's certainly he's certainly not keen on passing to anyone. Let's be honest. But uh, yeah, um, I think I think Italy have got a lot. Like, I think you could find yourself with a batch of Italian youngsters coming through who may improve the level of Italian rugby. My fear is that Italian rugby in itself is not really set up to mm. progress mm. and again Scotland I'm speaking I'm speaking from experience here because Scotland have found herself in that situation far too many times whereby professionalism just completely and utterly bypassed us and we found that there was too many people with too many vested interests mm and not looking at the greater good of let's develop players, let's get let's get a really, really competitive pair of professional clubs, let's get a national team out there that's going to do us proud. I think Italy find themselves in a slightly similar situation, and it will take time. It's kind of been all downhill since Mussolini. Do you think they just need another ruthless dictator? <laughs> I mean, well, let, let's... So... I mean, clearly not, but fascists do tend to bring the best national anthems. So, like, you know, there's an argument for, for that. Like, you you look at the best national anthems, and it tends to be a little bit of fascism in there. But yeah, they just need they, they need to, they need to, let's go centrally contracted players as opposed to fascism. <laughs> So uh, this is again totally off script here, but the uh, I think my favorite anthem has slowly become Argentina's because it, yep. it it honestly sounds like it's meant to be an instrumental, like it's as long as an anthem and comes to a complete resolution, and then they start singing. Yeah, <laughs> it took yeah, the longest yeah, yeah. time to figure it out. It's great. Yeah, though. It, 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 it's it's gen- It's like a Metallica song. It's like you've got like. It's like four and a half minutes. And, and enter like, Puma Man. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> June. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, no, I agree with you. It's a cracking anthem. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, Italian rugby have got, they've got a lot of issues. Um, and I think, the, like, people talk about the gap. The gap in the Six Nations has caused significantly between the five Mm. original nations and Italy are now further away than they ever have been. It does seem that way. And that that is a shame. But the the constant chat about them being kicked out of the Six Nations they are uh, they they do own one sixth of the Six Nations, mm. so they're not go- they're not going anywhere, because they would have to vote to leave. I think if you work in the Six Nations governing body, basically forty percent of your job is denying that Italy is about to be kicked out. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah, pretty much. And the other 60 is encouraging South Africa to join. In <laughs> and selling off pieces to CBC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> pretty much. Look over there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so there, there is, of course, the one important match this weekend, but there's there's two others. Um, going in reverse on Sunday, like we said, Italy will be facing Ireland. Ireland, I think, are going to be even more angry. They're going to be they're going to have more of the ire this week than last week after the result. Um, I think they're going to look to go just lay a spanking on Italy. Um, do you have a you have a prediction for that one? Is it going to be a complete beatdown? Yeah, I, th- I I again, depending on the team Ireland put out, but I think I think I wouldn't be surprised. So, so if I was to put an app, uh, put a bet on in an app, I would put Ireland by fifty. Yeah, I think I think they're going to go out to absolutely slap them, um, and I think they've got the potential to do it. Ireland are a vastly, vastly superior team to Italy. I wonder. So we talked a few weeks ago, and my take on Ireland was that they're a lot stronger, and yours was that they might be a little overrated. Do you feel any different after the first two rounds? Where, where do you think Ireland are realistically? Uh, no, I, I, I think I'm probably still the same. And actually, I think mm-hmm. the game at the weekend kind of like confirmed to me a lot of where where I was sitting. Like I think, I think Ireland have got a. a a lot of very very decent individual players. Mm. They've got a lot of young players, and, coming and they have James Lowe. And they have James Lowe, who is excellent. Also, also a player. He's technically a, uh, a, a yeah. Player. He he is a player. Yeah, yeah. He's excellent in the, excellent in attack. But uh, I, I actually yeah. don't know. I don't know why I'm taking a shot at him. He, he actually. I think he's really good, and he's got great hair too. So I, I should I should keep he my mouth shut. I mean, he does have a, he has a spe- spectacular walks. Uh, defensively, I think he's very poor, but I think you know you can get you can get to him defensively. Attacking wise, very very talented player. Yeah. Um, but it does open the argument because we often uh, this side of the water, we occasionally get um, criticised for our choice of players with, let's say, maybe not traditional Scottish heritage. Um, <laughs> And ah uh, yeah, last time I checked, James Lowe uh, was uh, was not Irish by well, uh, well, by. To be fair, Van de Merva is actually uh, old Gaelic for um, guy who's definitely been here for a long time. We swear. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's yeah, it's actually um, it's actually a, a Gaelic for giant Scotsman. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, it does. It frustrates because. Every country is playing the rules, and you know you look at it's it's often the press coverage that really arcs because you've normally got so you can guarantee there's certain publications as well you'll always get this it will be South African born right Duhan van der Merwe it will be South African born uh, WPNL right it it will be Manu Tuolagi, it will be James Lowe. You know, it's there's a there's a double standard there because I couldn't agree more. I must have watched him for I must have watched him for two years before I even grokked that James Lowe was not Irish. I just kind of you know he just passed right by and nobody ever mentioned it. 
Yep, yep. No, he was very much a very much a New Zealander coming over to yeah. uh, come over and get his contract. And obviously, you've got Hansen as well, who uh, Australian-born Hansen uh, for for Ireland, but uh, Irish, of course. And and that that's the other thing. Like people people would maybe say, "Are oh, you been a bit salty about that?" But ultimately, I have. I have absolutely no no issue whatsoever with the rules because I think that a player who chooses to uproot their life and come to another country sure. and represent that country, be part of that country, I, I have no issue with that whatsoever. I think, um, you know, I talk a lot about if you're if you want to be Scottish, you're Scottish. That's that's my kind of view, on it. and I think that that applies as well to Ireland, Wales, England. However, if you want to play for that country, you are you you're that country. Go for it. So, I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. I think the, the rules are the rules and all you can do is go by them. And if and of yeah. course, it's a professional environment. You want to do everything you can to maximize yeah. your returns, of course. <laughs> this is totally off topic, but the, uh, you know, you mentioned if you if you want to be Scottish, you're Scottish. I tried that out on my wife when we were getting ready to get married. There's, a, there's the great Mike Myers movie, So I Married an Axe Murderer. And, <laughs> and yes, his yes. character gets dressed, is wearing the full traditional, you know, formal Scottish attire for the wedding. Yes. And the first time I saw that, I was like, ooh, that's what I want to wear at my wedding. That looks great. And, yeah, then yeah. I, and so when I was planning this with my, my, you know, now wife, I was like, you know what I kind of want to wear? And she was like, do you have a Scottish accent? I said, uh, <laughs> no. And she said, does anyone in your immediate family have a Scottish accent? No you cannot wear a kilt at our wedding. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah. I, I mean, like, if you put we, 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 did, we did hire a piper. So I guess that was the, the middle that's, ground. Well, that, that, that's a, that's a middle ground. <laughs> like put me on, put me on to it at some point. We'll have a wee chat. Uh, <laughs> like we, we can sort that out. There's it's a, just a great looking outfit. Uh, yeah, I know. I, mine sits in just that cupboard just behind us there. Uh, kilt in there. So, uh, yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> that's where the kilt lives. No, it's like, yeah, the residency stuff and that, it is. It's really important that players feel like they can go and represent countries. And I think James Lowe, fair play to him. Um, he's done well well for Leinster. He's done well for Ireland. Yep. Um, so, you know, good, good effort in battering. It's weird too because people do they complain about oh well he's not really Irish and then they turn around and complain that he's not good enough to be playing for Ireland so he, he seems like he's in a, a no win situation <laughs> right now yeah a little bit like Ollie Kevil actually in some ways uh, which is uh, is a frustrating one um, I, yeah I just I think I think a lot of, probably the argument here is actually that. Um, Fans can get quite hung up on. Obviously, a lot of fans see young players coming through the club system, and they see these guys from age eight, mm. nine, ten, and they they almost get frustrated to say that. Well, why are we bringing in this guy from abroad when we have X, Y, and Z already mm. here? And I, I I understand that view, but I don't agree sure. with it. I understand it. The argument I would make is it's professional sport, and it's yeah. what you said. You know, ultimately, it's about putting the best team on the park, 
and see if you can bring in someone who's better than anything you've produced. That's that's a sad indictment on the coaching system. Mm. But ultimately, the job is to get results. Gregor Townsend's job is to win games. Exactly. The, rea- the reaction after the Wales game, and this will probably be the nice segue into mm. the Wales game. The reaction was, and I think it was Tom English in the BBC said, it was the worst Scottish result since the ni- uh, 2019 World Cup. I saw that. And... 2019 World Cup, people were calling for Gregor Townsend's head. I remember. They, they wanted him fired. I I wanted him fired. I mentioned it at the time. Mm. And he's, he's put a lot of money in the bank since then. Mm. But it's funny how quickly one bad result. Yeah, I mean, his, his job is hanging on a, a string made of W's, not of number of Scottish players, you know? Yes, yes, exactly. doesn't matter how many Scottish players he caps. It is absolutely. How many times can he win games? So there is another match that's going to be really exciting, I, th- I think. Um, the England, of, co- of course, will be facing a suddenly high-flying Wales team. This is a match that should be exciting and that won't cause me to crap my pants or throw up in my mouth. So that's automatically <laughs> an advantage for it. Um, I have a feeling the, the Welsh bandwagon is about to crash right into an English wall there at Twickenham. Um, where, where do you see this one going? I think England are going to absolutely pummel them. I think it's going to hurt. I, I think it's going to hurt Wales um, a lot, actually. I think Wales, again, and it's really frustrating, and this is, this is what's arced Scottish fans this week. Wales are poor. They are. This mm. is the worst Welsh team I've seen in 20 years. Hmm. And the English side isn't bad. What is Wales missing the most? If you could put one magical player who's just a transcendent player at one position and you could just give him to Wales right now to try to solve all the difficulties they're having, what is that guy? Is he their 10? Is it, is it somebody up front? That's a very good question. Um, probably a 12. Yeah, because Dan Bigger still looks great to me. I think I don't think that's the issue. Yeah, I think Dan Bigger does what Dan Bigger does, right? But I think if you could have a, a, a really, really talented 12 okay. for Wales who can act as a second distributor. So not Josh Adams? It, so no, yeah, no. For, nah, nah, no, funnily enough, funnily enough, no. I think, I think if you could give someone, if you could give Dan Bigger an out ball, to say, Dan, you don't always have to kick it. Ship it out to 12. Let us play out a 12. Mm. They've got a really talented back three. Well, they've got a really talented back two, plus Liam Williams. Um, uh, okay, okay. Against Scotland, they had, I mean, Lewis Rees Samet. Let's, right, okay. We've yes. got one. We've got a talented back one, right? Um, he's a great player. Right, William Williams. Guys, we've secured our back one. We've got back one, right? Let's fill the gaps. Um, <laughs> you know, one down, you 14 George... to go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you can get George North back fit, if you can get uh, even a guy like uh, Lee Halfpenny back or someone of that, Reese Patchell, <laughs> maybe. When Alan, when Alan Wynn Jones is fit again, does he make their team better or do you think that ship has sailed? I think he does make their team better, but that's not a good thing. 
Oh, I don't think I don't think I don't think it's a great sign of where Welsh rugby's at. Wow, um, that that hit me like, like, a, like a brick. That was good. Um, I think you know you've got a guy a guy who is. Um, I think he does make the team better from a leadership perspective. Right. Um, but from a physical rugby playing standpoint, I think he's he's like would. I guess the argument, like, would a fit Alan Jones get into any other Six Nations team other than Italy? That's a great question. I think he would. I think he would struggle. I genuinely I, think he would struggle. I kind of think they would have a younger guy in there. I think you're right. And and Wales Wales will at me for this. I mean, to, <laughs> and, to, and to be fair, I've never been in a Welsh locker room. I don't know how big. A, you know, I'm assuming his impact is enormous and indescribable yeah. to somebody like me. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure he does a lot, a lot of good work. But for me. I, I I just think there's better players out there. I think the issue for Wales is they don't play second row for Wales. Um, I think Adam Beard is a very, very talented player. Um, if not, like, seems to have... I don't know why, but he seems to have inherited Richie McCaw's invisibility cloak. <laughs> like, like, you know, like, I didn't... You know, I've seen the Harry Potter films... And I didn't know that this was how it would go. Like, I didn't realize, like... <laughs> Will solemnly swears I, that they are up to no good. Uh, yeah, I mean, Adam Beard has definitely inherited the 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 invisibility cloak. Because <laughs> against Scotland, it was like, you're just watching him going, no, no, no. What? <laughs> oh, no, the, re- the referee's... Okay, no, he's not picking that. Wow. Wow. So, okay, cool. you, you know what you might think of as like a side merchandising thing you could sell recordings of you reacting to the six nations <laughs> games with just like here's john on the welsh <laughs> performance today and it's just a recording of like what what what, you, what was that oh, oh <laughs> so was, on. the uh the the american podcaster bill simmons i'm a big fan of his and he he mentioned once how the the only better thing than the slam dunk competition in the, in the NBA is the reactions of all the players who are not currently doing the slam dunks. Like, <laughs> like I would pay money for a DVD of Shaquille O'Neal's reactions alone. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Uh, uh, maybe, maybe, maybe I've been told I've got too many side hustles on the gorgeous. So <laughs> may, may, maybe that's, maybe that's another one I need to add. Too to many the, side hustles. Uh, that's crazy. Jack. I uh, know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so when you, <laughs> you got to have lots of side hustles. But uh, no, I think, like, yeah, Wales, Wales, are, Wales are a side that I think we had a guy on the podcast the other day and he described it that, mm. um, described it that Wales are... I, le- I, learned Rever- a lot, uh, I learned a lot from him. That was a great app. Yeah it, was, yeah, it was very, very knowledgeable. And it was like reverting back to the Gatland era. Mm. Uh, but the issue Wales have is in doing that, they don't have the personnel to do that. Mm. So I, I genuinely think England are going to absolutely gub them. Uh, I think it could be a massacre. You, you mentioned Gatlin too. When does the Townsend Gate go up at uh, at Murrayfield, by the way? Is that still, <laughs> still in the works? Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's. Uh, I mean, Scotland fans are fickle. 
So we, 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 we shall see. So um, as, as we're alluding to right here, you know, the, the powers that be decided to start this entire Six Nations weekend with the most important fixture, fixture of all. Last week, all the world proclaimed the, the tilt between Ireland and France was paramount, uh, was paramount to the, the winner of the tournament. It was going to presage. Yep. It was going to actually come out. And then France won, and suddenly it feels like all the pressure has shifted onto them. And they've got some some young guys. They have to come to Edinburgh to face a team that beat them in Paris just last year, a team that's by all by all accounts on the ascendancy. I'm trying to get you hyped up here. What are your uh, <laughs> uh, give me your level of excitement versus your level of fear right now? Yeah, no, I I I think I think genuinely so. There's a couple of key personnel missing for Scotland, which will be a problem. But I, I am confident. Like Scotland did not become a bad team overnight. Right. The game against Wales. No, it it, so... it happened several years ago. I'm just kidding. Yeah, yeah, no, no, and a couple of years before that, and yeah, the game against Wales was so predictably Scotland. Right. We. We done the hype train, and then it all came crashing down. Yep. I can see us beating France. I can see us be- because we are in that position as a team where we we're se- we're essentially a one score team mm-hmm. between us and the other five sides. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, aside from Italy, right? I think last year proved that. I think with the points total in the Six Nations. And yeah, stuff. yeah, yeah. So I, and I, I think we're, and I think we're better this year. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think we've got a better balance. Add in full crowd at Murrayfield. Mm-hmm. And a French team that have the potential... Like, the French team could click and have the potential to blow you off the park. Mm-hmm. I just don't necessarily think they've quite got the personnel to do it yet. Okay. There's a couple of players that are maybe because they're too young, maybe, or yeah, I think I think you're ten caps short for mm. a few players. Okay, ten caps short of just being outrageous, right? Right. I think Scotland lacking Jamie Ritchie is a massive blow. It's huge, massive blow. Um, we said the other night, irreplaceable. He is probably Scotland's like most irreplaceable player. I think that's fair. Um, so well, it'll be really well, interesting. I mean, I mean, Finn. So we 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 had this debate. Actually, I would say what Jamie Ritchie offers you in terms of line out option plus breakdown plus okay, he's got a bit of bit the dog, very very strong defender, yep. very good leader. There's no one else that replaces all of those things. You okay. two players, Finn Russell. Like Adam Hastings has come in and been able to be okay, not not Finn Russell, but a very decent substitute. That that makes a lot of sense to me. The, the, this is like the advanced stats they talk in the NFL a lot about now, with like wins over replacement. Uh, this sounds like that kind of thing, where like the sum total of what Jimmy Jamie Ritchie gets you, what you're missing when he's not there, forms yep. a greater amount than what you're missing when Finn is out for somebody who's not as good yeah. as him. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I said, I said, said in the pod the other night, Hastings could come in for Finn Russell, and yes, there's a drop off, but he would do a job. He can still execute. King, Kinghorn could come in for Hog at fullback. Nowhere near as good a player, but he would do a job. He would execute. 
I don't think there's anyone that can do anywhere near as good a job as Jamie Ritchie. I think you're right. So, so we're talking on a Monday. We obviously have no idea what the next squad is going to look like. <laughs> yep. But that doesn't mean we can't discuss the last squad. Uh, and uh-huh. obviously, obviously that was a loss, as, as we've been saying. Do yep. you think the selection was the reason for that loss? I mean, you, I don't want to rehash everything you've talked about in your own pod in the last week or so. But um, was Tooney's selection at the at the core of yeah. that loss? Yeah. There was a couple of really, really poor decisions. Yeah. Mm. Um, the the front row was completely the wrong way around. That's um, my very next question. You know, he replaced the entire front row. I do yeah. feel like Skuman, you know, I think he might have earned that place and might have earned his chance to keep it. But what about yeah. the other two? Yeah, I th- I, you know, I thought... Um, so I thought... Uh, sadly for me, I thought WPNL was found out. Mm. Um, as being the 35, 36-year-old prop that he is. He is not mobile. He's not able to get about the park. He wasn't able to... So whether the Welsh and people... I love when people get so high and mighty about the scrum and say, well, this guy's (laughs) driving in and he's doing this and he's doing that. It actually doesn't matter. Mm. The prop's job is to adjust to that. Okay. And paint a picture to the referee. And Nell, Nell has been an amazing tactician, an amazing technical scrummager okay. in his career. But he got absolutely done this weekend. He got done. He and didn't look good. The, and he doesn't do anything about the park to mitigate that. Mm. So for me, poor, poor decision to start him. You, you then look at, like, it was a shame that Rory Sutherland had to go off uh, injured. Um, is he is he I back think, next I week? Think, do you know? No, he's out out for the tournament. Oh, that's out big. for the tournament. So all, so Ollie Cable's been called up this weekend. I so do lo- all, I do Ollie, love me some Ollie. Oh, Ollie's back! Choo choo! Here we go. <laughs> uh, yeah, Cable's back. So, um, but yeah, with and at Hooker, you know, again, I would say George Turner's been our been our form Hooker. Just at for me, it was just wrong. It was just a poor decision. Mm. The two other decisions that were made that, and I said on a group chat that I'm on, if we started Sam Johnson at 12, we would have won that match. Wow. Okay. I, I think it's as simple as that. And that is not because Sione two was a bad player or played badly. I think the tactics, the way that... So you're talking about Finn Russell, Chris Harris, who right. have now played together quite a lot. Mm-hmm. You put a guy like Sam Johnson, who maybe has 15 caps, playing with the pair of those guys. Mm. You don't get those mistakes that happened. Well, Tua Palatu is on my list of things to ask you about, because he obviously he plays for Glasgow. I think he, he, it yep. sounded like you were excited to see him in there. Do you think that was yep. a, an underwhelming performance by him? You know, I, I, no, that's that's the frustrating thing. I don't think it was. I think he done well. I just think system, okay. like having experience. Having, yeah, experience. I think like if you were to ask someone to go in for a like an early cap, I think he done some great stuff. I think there okay. was a few moments where 
with a bit more experience, he gives the ball, or he, you know, he, he makes a correct decision. But I think I think he done really well. Okay. I just think that Sam Johnston would have done better mm. actually, and um, so and then like the final one for me, and this was the biggest. It was the biggest headache. Um, Sam Skinner uh, in the back row at six. I think just. Really, we were playing against a really mobile Welsh back row, and Richie gives you a breakdown presence. Sam Skinner is—he's been playing lock for probably the best part of two years now. He's not—he's not an international six, and he doesn't have the pace. It's really funny that have... you mentioned this because one of my most esoteric notes here I have. Uh, have you noticed that the Six Nations website doesn't have a picture of Sam Skinner? <laughs> <laughs> you see all the guys' faces, um, and then boom, the Scottish rugby logo. Uh, uh, they, to, be, to, up. to be fair, they also don't have Ben White, but that seems a little more understandable. Yeah, well, well we all know Ben White is actually a rugby challenge regen. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, he's <laughs> right. actually not a player. He's, Choose uh, your hair. Yeah, yeah, basically, yeah, yeah. He's a he's a player, um, but yeah, Skinner for me was a poor poor choice again. So yeah, there was a couple of selection things went wrong. Um, doesn't change the fact individual errors caused Scotland to lose that match. I think with certain combinations, like if you put if you put Bradbury in at six, okay. Alongside, well, Fagerson obviously went off injured quite early on, but if you put a Bradbury in at six, alongside Fagerson and Watson, Bradbury and Watson play together at Edinburgh. You've got a little bit of a right. club connection. Johnston, you put him in next to Finn. They've played together plenty. He's played with Harris. I think it is our best centre combo. I, I just think we don't make as many silly mistakes. Well, you, you lobbed this transition right over the plate for me. Um, I was hoping you would tell us. So you again, you've already talked about this on your podcast that I've linked in the show notes as always. Yeah. Um, so we've already I've already gotten your answer. But for my listeners, what went wrong? Are there, Can you point at two, maybe three things that if you could just kind of tweak them and make them go differently that would have turned this from a, a loss into a win? Yeah. I, I, absolutely, I think there was a number of situations where, like, so at international level, missing touch mm. with penalty kicks, Un- is unforgivable, unforgivable, right? And I was surprised to see Finn kicking to touch mm. because it has been hog for quite some time. Yeah, we've we kicked the ball out on the full quite a lot as well. Yep. So there was a couple of moments. It's just compounding errors. So our kicking game didn't really. Do you think those were? Uh, was that a player who's not up to it, or was that a random happenstance where somebody who knows better just had a mistake, and then it was compounded by subsequent mistakes? Like, is it indicative of of the team, or is it an aberration? I. You know, I. I think. Even from the warm up, I think Finn Russell didn't look happy. He didn't. He didn't have the the smile. I didn't see the wink. I didn't see. I didn't no, see happy he Finn. 
he didn't look confident, he didn't look happy, and I um so I wonder if there was an element of that, but you know, I think I think there is a that Scotland we we do try to force things in the Millennium Stadium. Mm. Um and because of that, there was a couple of instances where we, we are forcing the ball, we're trying to kick a bit further than we maybe should have. Okay. Um given that our line out was working quite well, you know, it was like just secure ball, but I think if we if we make touch a few times, we probably do okay. I think if we have Sam Johnson at twelve, we win. Interesting. And it's it's for me people and it's normally Edinburgh fans, so <laughs> it's quite funny. Um, but people are really like someone said, is this the end of Sam Johnson as oh. a Scotland player? Dang. It was like what are you talking about? Like, Cameron Redpath's the future, yes. Tupoloto is a good player, but for me, Sam Johnson is head and shoulders above the pair of them still. Like, I think Cam Redpath's a really good player, but Johnson, he does so much work that is underappreciated. He is a solid player. Um, and for me, though, like as I've said a number of times, those mistakes in midfield that cost Scotland points, mm. with Johnson in midfield, don't happen. So uh, again, on your own amazing podcast, it seemed <laughs> it, it, it seemed like all of you usually you don't all agree on something, and I think this time it might have been unanimous. I think you all agreed that this is going to be Stuart Hogg's last year as captain. But my question is, is that more about his current form or is that more about the thing you've we've also talked about that like it's just hard to be captain when you're playing fullback because you have all this extra distance to cover to get in touch with the referee and stuff uh was that a form thing or a position thing i, I think it's a combination of both actually mm. i think practically speaking yes i think uh, a fullback is captain and I know you've had Johnny McGinty on here before, and uh, love Johnny to bits. So, um, but having a fullback as captain is not really the done thing. It, it um, seems it seems un uh, it seems less than practical. Yes, yes, there we yes, go. Yes, um, I also don't think necessarily Stuart Hogg benefits from being captain. There's mm. certain players you look at, look at players throughout the ages who've been amazing captains look at look at guys like thinking about england guy like martin johnson uh who thrived on that leadership role who thrived on being captain Mm. it was improved him as a player stuart hogg i don't think does that because it's almost again stuart hogg has still has a mentality that he thinks he has to do it all himself. It does seem that way. Add the captaincy into that, and that multiplies that by mm. a factor of 10. That's an excellent so, point. So the number of times Stuart Hogg had caught man and ball this weekend, try to run down blind alleys, it's like a, a relaxed Stuart Hogg with no pressure on him, able to play his own game, doesn't make those mistakes. Mm. And I think the captain sees the reason behind it. So from my watching of the game, the last one, 
I thought Finn took a lot of time to really get up to speed or what we think of yep. as Finn speed. Um, are you worried about his performance? Um, do you think that Townsend would consider making a change? That seems, that seems impossible to me right now. No, I, th- I, I, so I would agree with you. I think it was one of those games that Finn Russell sometimes has where just like, it takes a wee while to get up to speed. Mm-hmm. I, 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 you know, right. Let's let's be clear, guys. Guys like Dan Carter, guys like Johnny Sexton, Dan Bigger, Ronan Agara, all these amazing, you know, all these amazing fly halves that we've talked about through the years. Johnny Sexton's the guy you mentioned after Dan Carter. Oh man. I know it's just because I'm thinking about his ugly moosh and I just want to, <laughs> like, you know, he's he's front and center in my mind right now. Yeah, no, no, these 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 guys are considered to be amongst the, the sure. great fly halves, they right? There, and they all have had bad games. They've yeah. all had stinkers, right? Finn Russell didn't have a stinker at the weekend. Nope. He, had a, he, had a, he, had a, he had an average game, wasn't great, couple of mistakes. And then, and, then about... some bril- and then some brilliance towards the end, yeah, too, some of his yeah, magic. Yeah, absolutely. Am I worried about him? Absolutely not. Um, okay. Yeah, that, that is what you get with Finn Russell. You get that people look at him laughing about mistakes and they mm-hmm. think he doesn't care. This is a guy not to, he's a professional rugby player. He's not taking this seriously. That's his way of de- that's yeah. his way of dealing with it. That's his adversity. I've just made a mistake in front of ninety thousand people. Oh well, I'll get the next one. Yeah, he's always the guy who cares the least about it. It's awesome. It's one of my favorite things yeah, about him. It's such a it's, it's just such wa- a good trait. water off a duck's back. Aye, such a good trait, and it's really important that that continues. And I think it's, I always remember when Finn uh, started the Six Nations a, couple, a few years ago and there was two really poor performances. He got hauled off, actually, mm. uh, against France, uh, actually, and, and Greg Laidlaw went to 10. And Finn had had, oh, wow. he'd had, quite, a, had quite a poor game and uh, things, things just weren't working. And I think he came back the next game and got man of the match. Like you yeah. just came back and he just that sounds like the and it's it's so I've, I'm not worried about him. Uh, I would be more worried about Stuart Hogg actually. Um, I think. Oh, I do have a couple of questions about him too. So obviously, so Scotland will be at Murrayfield this weekend, hosting a potential just juggernaut in France. Yep. Yep. Um, so I thought I might look at a few numbers with you though. Uh, <laughs> okay. And what I love doing is really carefully curating and picking and choosing my numbers. So, <laughs> out of the last four meetings with France, for instance, Scotland have completely dominated. We've won three out of yep. those four and lost only just the one. And to broaden that out, if you look at the last 10 meetings, the sides are five and five. Yep. Um, obviously, I don't need to look at the nine before that, where we lost all nine of us <laughs> on the bounce. Um, but but does that history weigh on you at all? Like those nine losses in a row were a long time ago. Like it is a fact that 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 is the past. Do you care about the history? Do you think it's indicative of the future? Do Scotland players feel that way? Do you think like um, is there a you know a, 
a presence looming over this match based on history? No, I wouldn't think so. And actually, I think quite quite the opposite. You talk about the three the three victories in four. Mm. I think that that's what would loom over. You know, Scotland Scotland have won twice at Murrayfield. Yep. Uh, in very recent history, I think that will be what what is what is kind of inspiring them. But I also think you know, rugby is such a fast paced game where the guys the guys that are playing this weekend. The chances are there'll be new players. There'll be there'll be players who've never played France before. There'll be players who have never lost to France. You know, I I just think like we 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 put such an emphasis on history because it's kind of one of the only stats we have. Right. But but actually, these guys are well, professional they, players. They, they do this in the NFL all the time, where they're like, "Well, the Green Bay Packers have won the last eight meetings against the Cleveland Browns." It's like, yeah, but they play each other every eight years. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. The last yeah. time so, the Browns won, the quarterback for the Packers hadn't been born. So. <laughs> Yeah, ex- exactly. So uh, the the famous quote is, uh, "Statistics are like mini skirts; um, they give you good ideas, but they don't show you the good bits." Um, <laughs> so that's well, uh, you know, that, you, that... you can prove anything with statistics. Thirty-two percent of people know that. <laughs> so no, I, I I genuinely don't think Scotland will be at all worried about this weekend. Mm. I think they'll be very confident. We'll be looking for a massive reaction. I think the guys will be very disappointed with that Wales game. Mm. And I think we would look to see a huge reaction from it. And with a packed out Murrayfield behind them, I can see them getting a result. You know, and it's funny because last time we talked, I mentioned the, uh, you know, we're we're one Hawass punch away from another victory. <laughs> I don't think we need to make a French player blow his stack like that and, and lose his cool. I think we're good enough this time. On the other hand, that sounds suspiciously like hope to me. And I'm desperately trying to steer oh, away from that. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Let's, let's, yeah, the H word's now banned. Yeah. Um... <laughs> Yeah, no, no, you're absolutely right. Like, if we objectively look at, look at it, we are we're a very, very good rugby team who should be looking to beat other very good rugby teams. And France, France are building to what could well be a successful World Cup campaign for them. Uh, I foresee I think, that very much. Yeah, I think they've got some very, very talented players, but I think Scotland are. Scotland are in a golden generation just now as well, where they've got the best players, like the best players they've had in certain positions in history. Mm. And they've got, and like, wow. and we talk about this depth that we have just now. Well, yeah, yeah. that depth is about to be sorely tested because there's mm. a couple of key injuries. But I, I, I just, I feel like with the Murrayfield crowd behind us, I, I just don't. I'm not worried about this weekend. I think it could. I, I think it'll be a close game, but I think we could, and maybe should, be looking to win. So I, I got to be honest. I'm crapping myself over this game. It, it, it looks so scary to me. And I do want to get your take. Um, I think it's possible to think that uh, Dupont and Entomac are the best nine and ten combo in the world without thinking that. 
one of them is the best at that position. I think it's the fact that they're together that makes them so good. It's almost like yeah. you get 150% of, the, of their talent by having them paired together like that. Um, what do you think Toonsie can do? Uh, you know, what, what is your silver bullet lineup? How are you going to, you know, combat France? How are you going to make my fears go away here? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think DuPont and, and Tamak are incredible players. I think I think what you're looking to do is almost almost slow the French game down. So you're relying... I wouldn't be surprised if we see... Um, I wouldn't be surprised if we see Hamish Watson and Rory Darge oh, together nice. this weekend. I like that. Um, I think what we would be looking to do is really slow French ball. Okay. Entomac, for being the world-class player he is, no 10 can go anywhere with slow ball. Mm. So if, if, if Watson and Darge can get in, slow the French ball, just create a wee bit of havoc there. I reckon you'll see Xander Fagerson back starting for that reason as well. Really getting, uh, really starting to challenge that breakdown. I think we'll see a lot of counter ruck. Um, just try to just disrupt France from getting into those patterns that they can be so disruptive. Dupont will run the game, but he'll also, I would wouldn't be surprised to see, you know, if you're playing two open sides, they're going to go and have a have a shot at him. And mm. make sure he's, he's sitting down for a couple of plays as well. So, <laughs> you know, um, I, just, so, I just I just think we we slow we need to slow the French ball down and compete at breakdown. So you're already halfway through answering this question, but what do you think is France's biggest advantage, and what do you think Scotland can do to counter that? So you know, as you know, I'm I'm a New England Patriots fan. And that is our whole MO coach Belichick. His whole thing is, okay, I'm going to analyze what your team does best. I'm going to decide what your biggest threat is. And I'm just going to neutralize it. That's step one in the game plan is get rid of your biggest threat. Um, What would you like to see Scotland do? Uh, Not drop the ball. Um, (laughs) I think, I I think, I think if France, if France get a set piece game with us, um, we, we are in trouble. I think if, if France can get, so, if France can get their forwards with ball in hand, running at our our uh, backs, they're going to make yards. They're going to make significant yards, and mm. there's not going to be much we can do to slow them down. I really want us to see. For for, for me, what I, the ideal situation is: just getting those dominant tackles. Maybe two man, yes, but making sure we're back on feet, we're setting defense, and then a counter ruck just to disrupt, just to make just them to think, slow down the ball, slow the ball down, even just a second, makes your defense set, makes France then rethink what they're doing. Mm. If they if France play an instinct, they could they could cause a lot of a lot of damage. If we can slow them down and make them play pattern, I think we're I think we're in. So if Scotland managed to win and you're looking at the score sheet the next day and you're pouring through all those numbers, yep. who's the French player who you're looking at going, ah, yes, we foiled that guy. They, they, they never got him going. That's Entomac. Entomac for me, uh, yeah. 100%. You need, to, you need to stop 
people talk about Dupont. Dupont's Dupont's a phenomenal player, mm. and he will run that French team all day. I don't think you can stop him doing that mm. uh, necessarily, but I do think you can get to Entomac. Interesting. Uh, so I, th- I think if you stop Entomac, you stop those French backs from playing. Then you is you, it just you, a matter of giving him an adequate number of vowels to make his name set, make sense? <laughs> I mean, it's, uh, it's one option. I'd, I mean, is that a euphemistic way of saying send Mish up his channel and uh, <laughs> run over the top of him? Yeah, yes, um, and, and channel is also euphemistic. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, Entomac for me, you, you stop Entomac, you stop France playing. Yeah. Um, France do play from nine a lot, but Dupont will, Dupont will try, he'll try and get those, the big ball carriers running. Right. And if you can slow ball for that and make sure we're probably looking at quite a bulky second row this time around for Scotland, get mm. Johnny Gray's out. I think, you know, our one up tackling hasn't been bad. I think we could, if we can stop at source. And then cause Dupont time, give him time to think about what he's having to do. Mm. And then when Entomac's involved, we really need to get after him and 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 slow him down. I think uh, it's easy saying it sitting here. It's harder to do it, obviously, in a park. Mm. But for me, that would be the tactic: slow the French down. Um, which actually goes counter to what a lot of people are saying. Because people are talking about the French pack will probably be nigh on a ton, um, uh, and we're talking about you know like do you want to run them off their feet for sixty minutes? Well, French we'll players that. of un- French players of unusual size. I don't think they exist. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think we've tried we've tried to outrun them before, and I just think like. Back to your your philosophy and the the Patriots, where Scotland have had a lot of success is almost yeah accepting your opponent's strengths and fronting up to them. Mm. You have to front up to those first up tackles. You have to front up to the fact that Intermac and Dupont are going to get ball. It's what you do at that point that's mm. important. They're they're going to they're going to get opportunities, but you have to make sure you get after them, slow them down, and then just minimize those opportunities so in a way what you're saying is too like to to neutralize entomac you don't need his opposite number to be the one doing it you need you need the forwards slowing down the ball creating problems at the ruck creating turnovers just contesting all those things that process of slowing him is his kryptonite yeah, yeah. So, so the ball, so the ball at source, and then watch the Scotland defence. When the ball comes out, watch Harris, mm. who will be way ahead of everyone else, yeah. creating that indecision. It's it will be a tactic to make Entomac have to play, and we really want to be in a situation where we're forcing them to play as opposed to allowing them to play. Is is Chris Harris the best defender in Europe right now? Yes, I think I think I kind of think so. Percent. Yeah, I mean, yeah. There's been a lot of talk about how how good he is, but I, I, I genuinely, yeah, I think he's the best defensive thirteen I've seen in many a year. 
what is it that separates him? Is it just like, it can't just be something as simple as strength. It has to be wrapped up in his attitude or something like, you know, if you're his coach, what are you telling him he's doing so good? He's a very intelligent rugby player. Okay. He's a very intelligent. He sees, he sees things that other players don't see. Mm. Um, and we always talk about vision in rugby and we talk about guy, right. you know, the, the world-class tens see the game differently to others. Right. Chris Harris sees the game differently. He his positional sense. His positional sense isn't always the best, but he sees the game quickly and he's able to react. And he is he's quick and he's strong. He's very, very, very good technique wise. There, there's a there's in. a ferocity he brings to every single tackle too. It's work, like work he's great. like, this yeah. is the last tackle I'm going to make today until the next yeah. one. Until I'm up and smashing someone else. Yeah. yeah. I think yeah, his vision for me, his vision. He just he sees the defensive pattern and he's very intelligent with it. So I've already taken up a huge amount of your time. I, will, I want to be conscious of that and try to give you an out at some point. <laughs> but uh, I, I do have a double-sided question for you. Uh, give me a couple players who have performed better than you thought they would in Six Nations. And the obvious flip side is, who are a couple of players whose performances have gone wanting? Right. From a Scotland perspective, um, right. So for me, Grant Gilchrist. Mm. Has 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 really surprised me. I like um, that. I've I've never been a massive Grant Gilchrist fan, but I think he is he's really stepped up. He's shown leadership, and it's going to be all the more crucial this weekend because uh, again, I think he's going to be, end up being the senior, probably the senior lock in that team. So um, yeah, Grant Gilchrist for me has been has been excellent. Mm-hmm. Um, from a <laughs> who else has kind of stood out? It's 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 a difficult one because, like, there's there's been a lot of players who've been kind of average. There's mm. not really been any, anyone really jumping out. Um, Have you felt about uh, uh, about Skuman this whole time? Are you happy with his starting performance? Do you think he's earned the right to go back there and be again? I think I think he has earned the right. I think. He hasn't given away a ton of penalties, which used to be my complaint about him. Yeah, yeah. I think my my and yeah, the guys in the podcast will kill me for this, but I think again we're in a situation where he is adjusting to international rugby. Sure. And there's still there's times where his positioning is not where it should be. Okay. Uh, and and perhaps. Right, so at club level, you get just a tiny wee bit more time to make sure the guys inside you, the guys outside you, you get that positional sense. For me, Skuman maybe isn't reacting as quickly as I would okay. like to see. They always say it's the pace of the international game that's yeah, the difference. Yeah, it, cha- changes, it changes the game. It is so, so quick. Um, I think if we were to look at other standouts for Scotland... Ben White has been the yes. find of the Six Nations so far, and definitely, I would argue, has been better than Ali Price. Oh, oh. has been has like in his when he's played, he has given control but also pace and impetus that Scotland didn't have well. when Ali Price was playing. So Ben White, Ben White has been fantastic, and I'm I'm really really impressed with him. Really mm. impressed. 
Um, counter that with disappointment. I think Ali Price hasn't been mm. nearly as good as um, he's not been at the races this time round. No, classes classes permanent form is temporary, but he struggled a wee bit and. I would like to see, you know, he'll still get the jersey. And I think he's got a couple of games now to really kind of just re-emphasize how good he is. Because he's a he's a phenomenal player. Sure. Um, I, I just think he's kicking games a wee bit off. Mm. He's not necessarily whisper it. He looks like a guy who's played too much rugby <laughs> over the last couple of years. He genuinely looks like a guy, you know, you get that massive time off after the Lions, but he looks like a guy who has played a lot of rugby mm-hmm. for a couple of seasons and um, he could probably be doing with more of a break. Which... Well, as, as Indiana Jones famously said, it's not the years, it's the mileage. Yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. It's putting putting mileage on those, those legs. Um and then yeah, maybe maybe the other the other disappointment for me, I mean, Stuart Hogg, Stuart Hogg has been, he's been. Was it was it last he, year or the year before where Exeter intentionally benched him? him from, uh, it was last yeah. year. And then they went on to lose the final. Yeah, but but they got there and they looked better without him. That yep, that yep. that was like a that was like a bellwether for me. I thought that was yeah. a, that might have been a, a new day in the the Stuart Hogg universe, which I, I don't like. I don't. I'm not a fan of this day, yeah. but I think it might be might be here. He's you know again. There's no there's no taking away from me. He's a world class player, and I, I just wish he wouldn't take it on himself to do everything. Yeah, like I just I want I want to see a Stuart Hogg. Who is and you know let's let's let let's be clear we're talking about a guy who against England that saving the fifty twenty two yep with that kind of ridiculous flick it back in and then calmly brilliant right his commitment on defense well. too just wow yeah solid he's doing things well but I just I'm not seeing the composure and attack that mm. I would want to see. He's a guy who de- I feel like defenders attention. know he's going to keep it too. I feel like yeah. people are not defending the potential pass because they know it's not coming. Yeah. yeah, and that and that there is the opportunity because actually a guy like that, it, it does demand defenders' attention mm. because he has the ability to throw a dummy and be past you before you even know it. It just so happens that defenders are now like, well, I'm just going to hit him. Yeah, where if he if he pops a pass out the back or just drops it off, then we're making another 20, 30 meters, and he hasn't done that for me yet. Mm. But his kicking game has been variable as well. Some really really good ones, some really poor kicks. But again, conditions conditions have been tough. So yeah, I just I just think from a Scotland captain, I want to see a wee bit more from him. Um, so for me, that that they they two have probably been the 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 low lights so far, but let's let's see. I've, it's early days. When do we expect the squad announcements are coming? Probably not till Thursday. Um, are we are we a Saturday game this week? Yes. So yeah, Saturday game. First probably, first game of the weekend for sure. Yeah, it'll be Thursday then. Yeah. 
It'll be Thursday, I would imagine. So, is there uh, somebody who, if you see him on that list, you're going to go, "Yes, we got it. We got this." Um, I, th- I, I, I think if Sam Johnson's back, I think I'll be, okay. I'll be pleased. Um, I think the team itself probably picks mostly picks itself. Actually, mm. I, I don't think there's going to be any huge surprises on there. So I, I went and tried to look this up, and I have to admit, I did a bad job of it because I never found anything. <laughs> but what, what my hypothesis was, was Gregor Townsend seems to make more changes after a win than after a loss. Yeah, yeah. I, I Again, I don't have the hard evidence to back this up, but it's my strong feeling that that's what he does, yeah. which means there's probably not going to be too many changes. Are, are you okay with that? Do you, do you expect that and think that's going to be fine? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think, I think this is the most settled Scotland team we've seen in a long time. Okay. Uh, and I think the Tony Tombola, as it's affectionately known, will not be in full, full swing. <laughs> you won't crank it up all the way. Yeah, I think. I think the only thing we might see. Um. So I've obviously said Rory Dargett six. I think. We may see Andy Christie on the bench. Oh, okay. Um, I think that might be an option. Um, the, the, the stat sheet says that Cam Redpath got one minute last week. Do you think that's going to change? Uh, uh, well, he's injured, so he's away back home. Oh, injured again. Yeah. How did I so, miss that? So Redpath's injured. Yeah. So, oh. uh, yeah. So the Scotland, uh, Scotland rugby. So we'll just bring this up for you. Uh, do, 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 do. Oh, I, I, you know, it's amazing. Like you wake up in the morning and then there's newspapers and there's sources around you that are talking yep, about yep. the games that just happened. There's literally none of that here. Like you just can't, <laughs> nobody's talking about it. Uh, I think I told you this week, uh, I, I started adding both Scottish and rugby based trivia questions to my students in class. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you're saying. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the most common reaction is so one of the questions I put in their trivia test was uh, how many minutes are in a rugby game? And the most common comment was, what's rugby? <laughs> <laughs> but to be fair, one girl said, it's basically a cross between soccer and football. It's pretty awesome. My sister used to play it. I was yeah. like, "Hey, uh, that's a good you sign." You pass. Well yeah. done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so James Lang, Ollie Smith, oh, Ollie, Ollie Cable, Simon Bergen, Kieran McDonald, and Marshall Sykes, okay, have all been added to the squad. Wow. Um, Rory Sutherland, Havin Sebastian, Johnny Gray, Scott Cummings, Cam Redpath have all returned to their clubs. Uh, I, so, I hope this isn't the beginning. I hope that Cam Ribhead isn't like the RG Snyman of Scottish rugby. <laughs> yeah, just perpetually injured. Yeah. I I I really, really hope so. Um he's he's got a he's a very, very talented player. I would I would quite like to see him just put a wee bit of bulk on actually, because I think sure. he, he he does seem quite slight. But um I mean James Lang had a great game at the weekend. So mm. I think great to see him in there. Ollie Smith has been tearing up trees for Glasgow the last few weeks. Sure. Uh, so, again, great to get him into camp just to see what he's all about. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's disappointing. And, obviously, with the injury to Johnny Gray, you're, the, you're, you're bringing in Marshall Sykes and Kieran McDonald as, as potential kind of 
replacements there. Um, Scott Cummings is out with a leg injury as well, so um, we're we're kind of we're, we're starting to be quite thin on the ground in locks. Um, yeah. but, so we're probably looking at a Grant Gilchrist and well, maybe Sam Skinner, maybe. I would maybe say Marshall Sykes, actually, as, as your kind of second row. So looking into your crystal ball, if it's a Scotland win this weekend, who do you think is our player of the match? And obviously the, the opposite side of that coin, if, if it's a France victory, how do you think that happened? Who did it come through? Yeah, so for me, a Scotland victory, it's Hamish Watson mm. dominates the game. I love that. Uh, I think I think we need Hamish. We need an inform Hamish. I Watson. think he has the potential to do that too. I think he might cause yep. more, a lot more disruption than they're maybe used to. Yeah, I think I think Hamish Watson for me would be the guy we'll be relying on to cause a lot of havoc for France. Um, from a French perspective, if it all goes well for them mm. and they do win, I think you might see someone like uh, Damien Pernod. Maybe, uh, maybe getting man of the match. I think he'll score quite a few tries if, if France get ascendancy. Um, but again, you would be looking at your key men to point and, and to mark to to kind of uh, make things tick. Um, but <laughs> I, I, I watch so much rugby. I find myself slipping over my own tongue sometimes. Where I, last week when it was a uh, Villiers who, who had the I think a hat trick for France. And, yeah. uh, and I think I called him Villieri as if he was a giant player. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, yeah, good old Villieri. Yeah. It's a good match. Villieri. Bueno. So. Okay. Um, give me your final score predictions, and then I'll let you get out of here. Um, I am going to say, I'm going to, I'm going to let my, ass do the talking instead of my head or my heart <laughs> uh, it didn't work last week but it's got to work sometime i'm gonna say yeah. that scotland do win at home but i think it's around five points mm, yeah yeah I, I i think i think you're right i think even closer i mm. think we're talking squeaky bum time i think it's <laughs> scotland by two um I think, uh, yeah, I think I think we could be looking at like 2018 or something around that squeak, squeaky, squeaky bum. <laughs> I want to hear an official use that phrase too. It's it's not extra time. It's squeaky bum time. Squeaky bum time. Yep, yep. <laughs> I think it, I think it was Alex Ferguson actually that coined that term in, uh, for Manchester United. He, he Is that right? That time. <laughs> yeah, squeaky, squeaky bum time. That's great. So... Well, Mr. Anderson. It is, as always, an incredible pleasure to talk to you. You bring so much insight and so much fun to the pod. It's just, uh, I, I, feel, <laughs> I feel gifted every time I get to sit and chat with you, especially because there's nobody in this country who wants to talk about rugby. Well, that well, that's it. Yeah, we need to we need to get a few more along to to come and join us on our journey. But uh, no, it, it, it is working. Uh, you know, I mentioned my my New England Free Jacks earlier. They're doing really well, and Major League Rugby is at a different level this year. Um, there's the the new the new Japanese league that they're they've. <laughs> I was about to accuse them of confusingly name it naming it because it's the Japanese Rugby League One, which makes it sound <laughs> like it's a rugby league competition. But then again, yeah. our domestic competition has the word league in it too. Fortunately, no one in this entire country knows what rugby league is, so there's not going to actually be <laughs> any confusion. 
but it's go, it's going well. I I think if you pitted our best MLR team against that league's best team, yeah, yeah. I think that might be a really exciting matchup. I think things are going well. And of course, your your free jacks have got Doogie Fife. So we do have Doogie know. Fife, who's uh, who's in prison right now. They uh, they they after the fact uh, suspended him for three games for a, a, a vicious hit that apparently no one right. saw except somebody after the match was over. So there's a, oh. there's a big, there's a big free Dougie movement going on right now. Yeah, ha- ha- hashtag free Dougie. I love it. Yeah, that's. Uh, I, I we, tried we to get him on the pod. Uh, obviously, like a, a year ago, I reached reached out to him and uh, I was like, "Hey, I would love to get you on and talk to you about Scottish rugby." And he was like, "Yeah, don't really follow Scottish rugby." <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, for us, oh. that's good. That means he's all in. That means he's he's an American. Yeah, now. yeah, I'll he's American it. now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You guys have you guys have Rufus McLean. You know you got him. So uh, we'll, yeah, Dougie, yeah. that's the exchange program. <laughs> <laughs> well, John, thank you so much for talking to me again. It's been smashing. I love it. Uh, I can't wait to talk to you again. It should be a Scotland win this weekend. We're both hoping for it. I know we'll be both watching at the same time. I'll send you pictures yep. of me celebrating and looking like an idiot, and hopefully you'll do the same thing. I would absolutely do the same thing. Yep, and you you are more than welcome to publish said pictures, and uh, <laughs> rip, rip, rip me accordingly. But no, it's been a pleasure, mate. Thank you for having me on again. Great to see you, my friend. I will talk to you soon. Have a great night. Take it easy, pal. Well, my friends, that does it for this very special bonus pod. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. So, please, get in touch whenever and however you like. I'm always on Twitter at of Scrum. I'm on Instagram at the Scrum of the Earth podcast. You can always email scrumoftheearth at gmail.com. And if you could take a minute to just, you know, leave me a nice little review, that would be smashing as always. So, to everybody out there, thank you so much for listening all over the world. Cheers. Talk to you soon. And... Be well.